Hi, everyone. Good morning. Well, I'm here to continue to talk about the gift giver himself. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The gift giver. Let's pray and then I'll read the scripture. Heavenly Father, we're about to hear from your word. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So, Lord, we believe that this is your word. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And, Lord, I know that it will go right into our inner being if we allow it to. Father, I pray for all of us to hear your word and then be doers of it. We acknowledge you as the gift giver and the word giver and the life giver. Lord, we praise you today on your day, the day that we celebrate Palm Sunday. So, Father, help us now as we hear this word. I pray that you sanctify us all. You say, sanctify them by, the, by your truth. Your word is truth. As you prayed, Lord, in that garden right before you uh, continued to suffer and then gave yourself for us. Help us now, Lord, as we hear these words. Help us to abide in them and trust in you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, 
you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that is to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." While Paul was a uh, prisoner at Rome his first time, he had written four letters. They're called the prison epistles. They're Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. He dispatched four of his colleagues or co-laborers, co-workers in Christ, to send these letters and to read them to the churches that were located in these territories. This was in 62 A.D., so it gives you an idea, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these letters are being dispatched to those local churches. A fellow by the name of Epaphroditus went to the church of Philippi. Tychicus brought this letter to Ephesus. Epaphras went to the Colossians. And Onesimus, a former slave, went back to his slave owner Philemon to deliver the letter of encouragement to him. Although Paul was in prison, he still communicated about Christ, his church, and the life of a Christian to encourage them. Even when he wrote to Timothy, he says, don't be concerned of me, his prisoner. <laughs> don't be ashamed. God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Paul was ever the encourager. The Holy Spirit used Paul anointed him to write these words, and they're written for us. They're written for our learning now. It's not just to this group of Christians who lived in Ephesus at the time, in this pagan society, because so do we. Live in the same exact times. No, there's no temple of Diana down the street, but you could name the idols, you could name those things that men have erected, you could name the halls of education that are a few miles down the road that people consider and esteem no different. This wicked and perverse generation that Jesus spoke about is the same land that we dwell in today. So whatever is written here in this book of Ephesus that was written to the Ephesians was very similar to the time when they can look at the temple of Diana in their midst and yet there was this church of Jesus Christ, this grace of God that was extended to these formerly Gentile believers that are now grafted in, as the scripture says. 
Paul wrote these letters to them to encourage them because the society that they lived in was drawing them and making fun of them and insulting them and accusing them. Things that happen today the same way. Paul wrote to all the saints about Jesus Christ, this great gift giver. He continued on, and this is what we talked about this weekend. The theme for the weekend was equipping the saints for the work of ministry. But we shouldn't even talk about the work of ministry without talking about Jesus himself, because Paul writes later on in this chapter 4, it says, and he himself gave. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body, for the work of ministry, so that the saints of God, the holy ones, those who are called out, would actually do these works of service. And they would understand that this great gift that God has given to them, how much more should they extend themselves as gifts and the spiritual gifts that he's given unto men. He wrote about Christ's gift of redemption as he opened this letter up, he said to the church at Ephesus, saints at Ephesus, he blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us. He adopted us. He accepted us. Which literally means that he bestowed grace. He bestowed his favor on us all before the foundations of the world. He knew. He saw ahead and he realized that we needed redemption, that we needed to be adopted. What a gift giver. <laughs> what a giver. This is our God. Now in chapter 2, he reminds them what they once were, and it should talk to us real clearly about who we once were or who we still are to recognize this great gift giver and what he's done. He said that they were, and we were, dead in our trespasses and sins. He also said that they were in obedience to Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He says, who now works in the sons of disobedience. They walked according to the world. We had walked according to the world. We didn't know. We thought we were doing what we were supposed to do. And yet we were children of wrath, he says, both by nature and by choice. He also said that they were godless and unclean. They were separated from Christ. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, this special group of folks who were peculiar people, yet they were called to God and by God, chosen, and realizing that there was a Messiah, that God was looking toward their future. But they didn't know that the Messiah was there in their midst. He came into his own, and his own received them not. He talked to them about being strangers to the covenants of promise. Those that the Jews had, they understood. He said to them that they had no hope. And also, they were without God in this present world. Although they were with the God of this present world, who blinded their minds and continues to blind the minds of unbelievers today. So he made it real clear. You thought you were alive. <laughs> what a lie. The horrendous depravity of man. Even as we share the great news of Jesus Christ with people, they still say today, I'm fine. 
I'm okay. I'm not depraved. I'm a good person. Listen, they and we deserved whatever tragedy, affliction, misery, depression, heartache, and any other pain that are brought on ourselves. But there's two words in here I want you to see, and they just jump off the page out of verse 4, and they say this, but God, but God, they theos, two little words that speak to us of his relief, his undeserved mercy, his incomprehensible passion that he extends to us, but God in his mercy, the withholding of what we actually deserve, which is death and hell. His grace that he extended, the bestowing of what is not deserved, which is eternal life and heaven. But God, who is rich in mercy, what a gift giver. God, the creator of the universe. These two little words capture for us the entire emphasis of the gospel is good news. The two words contain actually the entire message, but God. <laughs> two words show man's plight, but these two words show God's provision, but God. Two words that picture man's impotence, but actually show God's intervention, but God. But God the two words describe men's helplessness, but declare God's hope for us. He said, once we were dead. We were dead. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, for as, Adam, as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. He said, we were once enemies. In the letter that he sent to the church at Colossae, he wrote this in their first chapter, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. He's reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. He said that they were enemies, that they were alienated. Once we were lost, he writes parables, Jesus. He talks in stories to us to remind us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And at the end of one, he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. This is our God, the great gift giver. But God, who is rich in mercy, once we were far off, the scripture says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We once were cut off from God, but we now have access. We once were at war with God, but now we're at peace. We once were condemned, 
and now we are justified. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. But God, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. You know, we have terminology in the church, and we say we're saved. And we confuse people because they don't think they're lost. They don't understand what we mean by that. But it's real clear from the scripture that salvation is what's being spoken about. Let's ask God for wisdom when we communicate this great salvation. When we ask somebody, are you saved? Tell them that you're saved from the wrath to come. And that wrath is coming. And thank God we do not have to endure God's wrath. He saved us from his wrath. Those of us who were enemies at one time. Oh, what a gift giver. We can ask all of those questions. Who, what, why, where, and how about this. Who was this that did this for us? God himself. But God. So what did he do? What he did was love us in mercy, made us alive in Christ, raised us up and seated us in heavenly places. I understand we're not sitting there right now. We're sitting in the midst of this congregation. But positionally, that's what he's done for us. We are actually seated in heavenly places. And we're awaiting his return. We're waiting for his glory because he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us. For he ever liveth to make intercession for his saints. Where did he do this? Well, today we commemorate Palm Sunday, as the church calls it. But we remember where he was in a territory that he came from the Mount of Olives and had this road, this access, where it led him to Jerusalem. We remember the event, this triumphal entry, as it's called, where he rode in on a donkey and they laid the palms and the clothes at his feet, those that went before him and those that were behind him. And these were thousands upon thousands of people. This was not just some little crowd. This was a great time of their year. It was Passover time. So therefore, all the Jews were in Jerusalem from all the territories. And what were they yelling? Hosanna to the son of David, which acknowledged that he is the Messiah. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a few days later, 
Pontius Pilate says, what would you have me to do with this Jesus Christ? Let him be crucified, they said. Listen, saints, we were no different. And in some cases, we're still fickle. And we still change. And Satan lies and he said, did God really say that? And we're still confused in some cases. But thank God for his Holy Spirit who reminds us. Thank God for the brethren who encourage us and build us up. But God did all of this. Why did he do it? In verse 7, it tells us that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. His kindness toward us. How did he do it? He did it by grace, through faith, not works. We couldn't earn it through human effort. We couldn't do it apart from him. We could not do it through human merit. It was through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. Saints of God, don't ever get bored with that message. Don't ever lose sight of this great gift that he's given to us. Because that's exactly what it is. It's a gift from God. But God, oh, what a great gift giver. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. So today, as we celebrate this wonderful day where the crowds yelled, Hosanna, save us, Lord. We can say the same thing with them. And yet we know that he has extended salvation to us. They were looking for him to be the Messiah, to be raised up and conquer Rome. They didn't understand that. And Paul writes this letter in 62 AD. Little do they know in eight years that Jerusalem would be trampled down by those Roman soldiers that they were looking to be removed from their lives anyway and decimated the entire temple. Yet his temple had to be destroyed and the third day be raised up. The Jews were so confused, didn't understand what he was talking about. But he was talking about his own body, his own flesh, the thing that he endured for us, the gift giver. Saints of God, we sit in here this morning and we call it the Lord's Day and we come before him and worship him. Let's actually worship him in spirit and in truth as we're reminded what we once were and what he has done for us and where we are now. And all we need to do is repent. That's all he requires of us is to say, yes, you're right, God. I am a sinner, have been a sinner, and I need this gift that you're giving out. I receive it by faith, which means to believe that what he did, he did. That's a gift. It says that he's given us all a measure of faith to believe. How many more gifts can we possibly receive? <laughs> That's why he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. God understands that he is the great gift giver. But God, who is rich in mercy. So today, the word to us is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Those people said, what should we do? after Peter talked to them and said, listen, it was God's determined purpose. 
It was his will that Jesus would endure this for us. The gift. The gift. Receive this gift. Those of us who have been alienated and enemies, some of us understand that. But those who are greater sinners than most receive to whom much is given, much is now required. And what's required of us is to praise him. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. We should all be understanding this great gift that he's given to us today. Receive the gift. And let's praise him with those that praised him and yelled out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you've given us such a great gift. Lord, forgive us for being so lackadaisical or even flippant about this gift or even religious, Lord. Father, help us today to magnify you and exalt you and declare, but God, if it wasn't for you who were rich in mercy, we would not be sitting here relishing in this great salvation, this eternal life that you've given to us. Father, I pray that you fill us with your spirit. Forgive us, Lord God, for quenching your Holy Spirit and not being faithful to him and truthful to you and not telling others about this great gift that you gave to us, oh God, and that we can extend this gift to others. Help us now, Lord, as we celebrate your supper, what you did for us, the reminder where you said to do this in remembrance of you. We're so grateful that you left us this memorial that we would understand and remember because we were once your enemies. But now, Lord, you brought us into the fold. <laughs> you made us just like Israel, the Jew, the one who would give you true praise. Lord, thank you again for your wonderful word to us as a reminder that you are God and you're rich in mercy. You are the creator of the universe. So, Lord, hear this prayer. Hear us, Lord, for those who are suffering and going through tribulations and trials and all, Lord. And, Lord, we may not be able to say the same thing that Paul did, but help us, Lord, as we trust in you today. Father, we celebrate this wonderful day. But, Lord, we also look forward to your death and your resurrection because it's through the resurrection that you've conquered death and hell for us. You've overcome sin for us, Lord. Thank you for this great gift, you wonderful gift giver, you. Oh, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.